together. And that is such a critical issue, beloved. And so, before I can talk about seven ways to get involved, I've got to highlight this issue of being committed, being devoted, being willing to go there, being willing to just jump in and, and, and continue steadfastly together. That is at the cornerstone of any you know, message on how to get involved. We've got to be willing to get involved. Amen. And so, uh, I, you know, 2080 principle, let's just not do that. Let's just do the 100, 100 principle. 100% of the people doing 100% of it. And, uh, and from there, I think there'll be incredible health, so many connections, so many sharpening opportunities, such fellowship and community built. But we've got to, as a community together, say, yeah, we're going for this thing. So with that in mind, I want to look at these seven things. Now, this is probably not going to be, you know, the most revolutionary new idea that you've ever heard. This is probably going to be seven things that you go, well, duh, yeah, I knew that. But if we will think about these, and then if we will connect our hearts to these things, we have certain ways we think about doing them in the house of prayer. I'm telling you, it will bring incredible health and growth to us as a a family of faith. So, uh, let's look at the first one, prayer. Now, we've preached, I mean... A lot on prayer. Obviously, if you pray night and day, you've got to preach a lot on prayer and messages that help call believers to prayer. And that's critical for us. And we will continue to do that. As long as we're here, we will emphasize night and day prayer. We will emphasize prayer as the centerpiece of our mandate as a community. That's who we're called to be. Uh, I've got many, many things I could say about that. I want to highlight two. We'll look at Isaiah 62, but I want to mention John 15. In John 15, Jesus teaches a principle called abiding, abiding, or remaining, staying in the flow, staying connected. Jesus never taught uh, prayer as a quiet time or prayer as an event unto producing results. He always taught abiding with a continual flow that automatically produced fruit. That is a completely different idea than most of the way that we teach new believers and the most of the way we teach discipleship. Jesus didn't teach quiet times. He had them, but instead of teaching quiet times, he taught abiding, staying connected, the, 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 the branches to the vine and the branches producing fruit. And, and the thing that he said was, if you'll stay connected, if you'll stay abiding, you will produce fruit. That's where the fruit comes from. I've never seen on any tree or bush, any fruit-bearing, you know, entity, organism. I've never seen a branch stressing, straining to try to produce fruit. Have you ever walked up to an apple tree and saw a branch like, like trying to pop an apple out? That doesn't exist in creation. Why? Because if the branch is connected, life flows into the branch. And if life is flowing into the branch, fruit comes out of the branch. Beloved, that's how we're supposed to be as believers. Flowing with the life of God, always connected to the the life source. And and, and from there, fruit popping out of our lives, 
essentially effortlessly because life in will produce fruit out. Amen. And so that's what Jesus taught. Now, our particular environment is unique. Um, It's not unique in the kingdom, but it's unique in terms of in the earth right now. It won't be unique, and it's becoming less and less unique as as the day of, of the Lord comes closer because right now we're in the middle of God releasing a reformation in the earth. The reformation is he's actually going to see that his house is called a house of prayer. He's actually going to see a culture of prayer at the centerpiece of the, the community of faith. Now, I'm, I am all excited about evangelism, missions, discipleship, fellowship, all these aspects. But those things that the church engages in, evangelism, fellowship, mission, all that stuff, they all are supposed to come out of the foundation of prayer. Prayer as a, a foundational culture. Just like abiding produces fruit in the community of faith, the foundation of prayer produces all the works of the gospel, all the works of the kingdom manifest in the earth. Now, in our environment, we have a 24-7 testimony of worship and prayer, 24-7 actuality, where any day, all day, all night, as I was saying earlier, you can come and there is somebody here leading a worship set. It might be one person on a guitar. It might be a full band. If it's really lean that day, it might be somebody beating a bongo, potentially, and reading the Bible. If you can pray to that, jump on in. We don't really do Bible bongo sets very often. But we have a mandate from the Lord to have a continual watch before God. A continual watch of worship and prayer. And I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, sometimes it's been very challenging. In fact, for me... I've been in ministry about 20 years now. It's been easily the hardest thing I've ever done to lead a community in ceaseless worship and prayer. And only by the, the grace of God have we been able to go six and a half years and, and, and by God's grace we'll continue to go hopefully till the Lord returns. Amen. But it's one of the most challenging things I've ever done. It's the most challenging thing I've ever, ever been engaged with but it's easily been the most rewarding thing. It's been the most life I've ever felt in the kingdom to be in an environment that's continually saturated in worship, to come in this room anytime. The other night I couldn't sleep. You know, 12, 15, drove on over. I'm in the house of prayer till three o'clock in the morning and the Lord, the presence of the Lord is richly filling the room. And one of our night watch worship leaders is, is up on the platform just worshiping Jesus and it's just, the atmosphere is just filled with the presence of God. Beloved, that's rare in the earth. I, mean, I don't know if you know how rare that is in the earth. That is exceedingly rare. We have the house of prayer in Kansas City that we, we, we look at as our big brother in the spirit. And, and, and there are just very few examples of 24-7. And, and the, to be tr- truthful, we don't know of any other besides Kansas City and us of live worship and prayer. Live worship-led prayer meetings. Not just prayer watches, which I love. I mean, I'm so excited for prayer watches where people call on prayer chains or, or whatever. But a live worship-led prayer meeting that's continued nonstop, we don't know of others. But we're seeing so many being built in the earth. I mean, it is, it is just exploding across the nations. In fact, tomorrow, we have 11 leaders coming in from around the nation just to come and glean for a day to, to learn 
you know, the, the details of night and day prayer just to, just to get poured into for a day. So our environment is unique in that. Now, as members and parts of the community, and you say, well, I haven't actually gone through vision and values. This is the way I'm doing it. If you've been around, you think of IHOP as the main place you go. You don't even have to say well, IHOP's my church. But if you think of IHOP as the main place you go, I'm talking to you. If you're visiting us, high five. I'm so glad you're here. I'm not, I mean, if this resonates with you, great. I'm not necessarily aiming at you. But I am aiming at the guy that's been around for a while. How are you? I'm shooting at you. Here's our deal. This is our core foundation, night and day prayer. So as members and parts of this community... This is something we need to engage in together. Together. Everybody say together. Now, our mentality is this. The person that sits in the seat and the person that sits on the platform in any prayer meeting is of the same value. Of the same value. That person that's in the chair and this person that's on the platform... They're equally maintaining a watch before the Lord. They're equally maintaining it. And so it's essential that we see it that way. Woo, I just really turned myself up. Praise God. Man, this headset mic, I don't think they make it for people like me. I just, every week I'm t- moving around. They just, they need to make a headset mic for hyper people or something. Like, because this thing just all over the place. Side note. Okay, so we see the value that the person in the chair and the person on the platform, we see that value as the same. And so, uh, for those that are part of the community, our heart is that you would engage in the 24-7 watch uh, at some level. What we ask is that everybody would do one prayer meeting a week. One prayer meeting a week. Now, a prayer meeting for us is two hours. Any seven-day period, seven period of time, Any week period of time is 168 hours. We do 84 two-hour prayer meetings in a week. 84 two-hour, just think about that for a minute. 84 two-hour prayer meetings a week. So we ask anybody that's connected to the community to just do at least one. Now, we don't say you have to show up, sign in, and and we're going to measure your commitment. We don't do any of that. We just, between you and the Lord, we have this unique expression of night and day prayer. Here you are as a part of this community. I would encourage you, jump in and come to at least one prayer meeting a week. And that can look like two hours. That can look like any two hours. But that's what we ask. Now look at Isaiah 62, verse 6 and 7. This is an important verse for us in the house of prayer. It says, I have set watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, that's the intercessors, that's the watchmen. Do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Till he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. He says, I've set the watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. That's the intercessors. I've set the intercessors in place is the idea. They'll never hold their peace. Notice the they. This is not about one person who can't sleep at night who prays a lot. This is about them, they, who, the watchmen, who are they? Communities. These are communities of people that God has already dreamed about. In Isaiah's day, he's prophesying 
of a future reality of the people of God. That there would be these communities who are, who are founded in prayer, who he calls watchmen. And these watchmen communities, they would be continuous in their worship and in their intercession. And he, and he admonishes these communities, says, don't stop, give the Lord no rest. Well, if we pray night and day, if we do every second of every minute of every hour of every day, we're, we're doing our best to not give him any rest. And he says, I want you to continue to do that until what? Till he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. That's code. <laughs> That's just biblical code. Not Bible code, but it, he's giving us a, a, an idea. Till he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. What is that? That's when Jesus returns. That's when Jesus returns. So he goes, listen, I've already dreamed of these communities that will go night and day, day and night. They won't give me any rest. And he goes, you cry out to the Lord. He goes, give the Lord no rest. Don't keep silent. He goes, I want you to keep doing this until I send my son, until Jesus comes and makes Jerusalem the praise of the earth. Beloved, there's one thing when you look at a Bible verse and it means something to your heart. You go, wow, that really ministers to me. Like, I feel like that's about me. There's another thing when you're actually the fulfillment of the biblical prophecy. Follow this. This is a prophecy about the end of the age and the time before the Lord returns that God is going to set up watchmen communities who are night and day, day and night. Listen, I look at that and I'm as shocked as anybody because I look at this and I think, wow, you're going to actually do 24-7 prayer in places all over the earth. And, and then I look here and I go, like us, oh my goodness, I feel as uh, surprised as anybody that we have night and day prayer here. I remember it was 2007. I was sitting with Mike Bickle, and, and we'd been going night and day for about 18 months or so. And I looked at Mike in the eye, and I said, Mike, Isaiah 62 is being fulfilled right now in our day. I go, this is huge. I, I go, it's, it's never made sense to me. I go, we shouldn't be in existence in Atlanta. It is so hard to do night and day prayer. But the favor of the Lord is on us. The grace of God has been on us. And it's, it's happened. And it keeps happening. And, and as best as I can tell, we've done everything human, humanly possible to mess it up. But God is faithful and he wants it more than we want it. This is amazing. I go, this is, I go, this is happening right now, Mike. It's going to happen all over the earth. And he, go, and he just kind of, he kind of just gave me a, a fun answer. He goes, yeah, sounds like a lot of work to me. And I said, I go, no, Mike. I go, it's, it's landing on me maybe for the first time. I think I get it. I shouldn't be doing it in Atlanta. I should have been a complete train wreck. It should have never happened, but it did. I didn't have an international ministry. I didn't have a huge database and downline and 20 years of conference ministry like you did. I didn't have any of that. Just had a few people who were just crazy like me, just come on, let's do this thing. And pop, it pops, it happens. We have leaders from around the nation and nations asking us, how did you do it? And I look at them and I go, I can give you a few tips, but unless the Lord builds the house, you're going to labor in vain. Because... This doesn't happen. This does not happen without the hand of the Lord. And I said, no, Mike, I'm putting away the false humility and all the all GL shucks. God did this. And here we are. We've got the tiger by the tail. 
but I'm hanging on. And I said, I think I'm understanding it for the very first time. And he looked at me, he goes, you'll think that 10 more times. You'll think you're understanding it for the first time 10 more times. See, beloved, this, this doesn't make sense. 24-7 prayer in the spirit of the tabernacle of David happening in Atlanta. And we have a little, I mean, we have a ragtag little Gideon group. I mean, it is little, small, rough, and ugly. I mean, just, it, just let the reader understand. I mean, we, we have got so many faithful ones that are willing to come and, and keep a watch. And, and, and so often, you know, because we don't have as many proficient musicians, we have ones that aren't as proficient, but they're willing to offer what they've got. It's like the little boy with the, you know, the, the loaves and the fish. I mean, just here it is, Jesus. Hope you like it. <laughs> he loves it. You know, he doesn't really care if it's perfect. In fact, all of our music sounds pretty weird, I bet, to perfection in the throne room. Like our best singer versus the throne room probably sounds like, you know, nails on the proverbial chalkboard. But he loves the heart that would say, we want you, we love you, we want to worship you all day and all night. So, beloved, this is who we are. So as a part of this community, we just say a practical way that you can connect to the core of who we are is connect to the prayer meeting. Two hours, two hours a week. Whatever works for your schedule, I promise you, our schedule works for you. <laughs> I guarantee it does. Now, here's what I know. I know we've got people that drive an hour, some that drive more than that, just to come be a part of our Sunday community. And God bless you. I, I, I get it. That is a serious sacrifice to drive that, that far. And, uh, and, it, and I know it makes it way, way more difficult for somebody that has to drive quite a ways to be a part of the prayer meeting on a weekly basis, I would just ask you to ask the Lord how you can connect. And I would bet the Lord will will show you a way you can do it. Either, you know, you come early on a Sunday and just lock down in the prayer room for a couple hours or stay late or or sometime during the week or who knows, there's maybe an an errand and you can connect, you know, to an errand. You come to the prayer room for a while. But what if our whole community connected to the prayer room just two hours a week? Now it's not just whoever those staff are, whoever those missionaries are, keeping the fire burning. Now it's we have a whole community that's, that's taking our watch. Amen. Just like in Nehemiah, it said family by family. They, they had their, their tools to build and their weapons in their hands together. And they, they worked together to, to see that the wall was built. What if we all took a part of the wall? Amen. As a part of this community, we said, man, this is my part and we're going to lock in. And maybe for you, who knows? It's 8 o'clock on Tuesday night or, you know, 6 a.m. on Thursday morning. Who knows what the time is? You just say, you know what? I'm going to lock in on that time frame. And that's my watch. That's what I'm taking my watch. That's what we're asking you to do. Practical way. It's as valuable as anything for you to sit in the chair and put your hand on the plow and take your watch in prayer to help build this prayer reality. Amen. Amen. And I'll just say this as, a, as an aside. If you are a worship leader, uh, a singer, a musician of any kind, and you've got a, a reasonable level of gifting, we always need more musicians and singers. We always need them. And so we have uh, auditions the third Monday of every month. Man, we need help. We always need help. Our little staff, I've got staff members who do eight and ten sets a week. 
Now, I know that doesn't sound, well, eight sets at 16 hours, huh? You try it. It is intense. And they're doing that and then a whole battery of works of the ministry and service stuff. And it is really intense. And so I would encourage you, if you have a, any kind of gifted, gifting level in terms of worship, singing, musician, come audition. Get on, get on a team. We would love to have you connected. Amen. All right. Prayer. So that's the first way. Fasting. That's the second way. Now flip over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 16, he gives a few guidelines on fasting. Verse 16, he says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. So I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Boy, that's bad. Walk around all sad. What's wrong with you? I'm not eating. I'm fasting. I'm holy. Jesus goes, you just got the entire reward for fasting in that one sentence. You mean you starved yourself for a week, told the guy about it as a badge of religious pride, and that's it. No spiritual breakthrough. No growth in the spirit. You got your little stroke as the, as the spiritual one, and now you're done. No reward. Ouch. So they receive the reward in full. 17, but you, when you fast, he goes, put your hair gel in, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you, or reward you openly. This right here sets our culture for fasting. The first point is this, it's the phrase, when you fast. Somehow, over the years in the church, somewhere, somehow, we separated prayer and fasting. You know, it's like prayer is kind of everybody has to pray, but fasting is for the special people. Never was it like that in the Bible. It was always prayer and fasting together. It was never one or the other. It was always you do them both. Not every time that you pray that you have to fast, that's not the point, but it's such a regular part of what a believer does, fasting, it's just a given. And so when Jesus shows up and sets a culture for fasting, he's not actually introducing the idea of fasting as a new concept. What he's doing is giving the culture that you approach fasting with, because they were all fasting. They had uh, prescribed fasts by the Lord, and what had happened was they had turned, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had turned fasting into a religious badge, so Jesus is correcting that point, but notice, he's not introducing fasting as a new idea, he's just fixing the culture of it. So fasting is so throughout the scripture, you don't have any introduction of fasting in the New Testament. It's simply tweaking the culture. And so for believers, fasting is supposed to be something we do as normal Christianity. Christianity. Everybody say normal. Fasting is normal Christianity. Amazing. Now I know it seems like in the West it can seem like, well man, those are serious. That guy's like, he's not eating. Like, whoa, he's serious. Beloved, it's not like that throughout the rest of the world. I mean, there's plenty of places, they're just, they just fast 
because that's what you do because you don't have all the food that we have. They don't have McDonald's and Winnie's and KFC and Arby's lining the street. You can get 27 options of just how to do your hamburger. They don't have that stuff. A lot of times they just got beans and rice. And, you know, it's like no big deal. Yeah, I'm not going to do beans and rice tonight. I'm just going to fast. That's just normal. Beloved, that's how it's supposed to be with us is it's normal Christianity to fast. We fast and pray. I remember one, uh, one time this guy said to me, he goes, you know, listening to you talk about prayer and fasting, he goes, it finally it finally resonated with me. It's not prayer or fasting. It's prayer and fasting. I go, exactly. That's the Bible way. That's, that's what it is in the New Testament. So it's when you fast, and then Jesus sets it up. He goes, don't use it as a religious badge. Don't think this is something that makes you look more spiritual, because that's not what it's about at all. And so our mentality on fasting is, in, in a kind way, uh, we don't really care, fasting or not. We just say, don't ask, don't tell, don't make it a big thing. We just don't really care because it's something normal. It, 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 to us, it doesn't make somebody more spiritual or less. It's just something that the Scripture prescribes. And so just like anything else, like being kind or loving or giving or serving, fasting is just part of it. So we just say, don't make a big deal of it. Just do as you would normally do and follow the Lord as He directs you to fast. Amen. So what we do as a community, and this is what I'm talking about, practical ways that as a community we facilitate doing life together. What we do as a community is every single month we call a fast. Every single month. It's called the Global Bridegroom Fast. The Global Bridegroom Fast is something that Mike Bickle and Lou Engel came up with about 10, 12 years ago where they were calling believers around the world to fast three days at the beginning of the month, the first Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of the month, and then seven days the first week of December for a 40-day annual fast. If you count it all together, it's 40 days. And really, they were setting it up so that the the community of faith would have a, a joined effort of fasting with prayer that would offset some of the Uh, false religions that are fasting and praying to their false gods. Hello. Do you know five times a day, five times a day, a billion people bow down to a rock in Mecca, in Saudi Arabia? Five times a day. They worship and bow down to a rock. A billion people. My kids in, in, in our neighborhood, they play with, these young guys, and, and they're Muslims, and they'll be out there playing, and the family will come out, and they'll say, hey, come in, guys, time to pray. And they'll go in, and the children will bow down toward Mecca and, and, and you know, pray towards a false god. And then they have Ramadan, which is a 40-day fast annually. And we're coming up on it, or we're in it right now. We're just right at the beginning of it. And a billion people engage in that, fasting and praying to a false god. Well, why wouldn't the community of faith engage in fasting and praying? We've got the real thing. This is just normative stuff. So we encourage our community to engage as the Lord leads at whatever level you feel to fast. Uh, And we say we have uh, Global Bridegroom Fast, which is three days a month, the first Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of the month. If you want to do a a Daniel fast where you don't eat any meats or sweets, or if you want to do a, a juice fast or, or whatever the Lord would lead you to do, 
we, we don't check anybody's fasting card. We're not pricking people's finger at the door, checking people's blood sugar, making sure you're really fasting. We don't do any of that. We don't care. We just encourage you to do it. Now, I'll tell you this. Somewhere about 10 years ago, as I was reading testimonies about revivalists and intercessors who had seen revival break open, I saw that so many of them were fasting and praying people. And I said, Lord, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do a fast. And I remember my, the very first fast I did was five days. If you haven't ever fasted before, five days feels like five years. I mean, day three, I was, dead. I was dying. I mean, I'm just, I'm just doing my best to try to not look like I'm fasting. But, I mean, I'm limping around. I look like droopy dog, sad, you know, just, uh, dreaming about cheeseburgers every night. I get, to, I get to the end of the, the fifth day, and I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for food. And I pig out. And, and I remember that last day, I was like, Lord, I don't know if you noticed or anything, but I didn't eat for five days. Because I was expecting an angel or Jesus himself to show up. Come on, man. A new anointing, a new revelation. Give me a verse. Well, what I found is when you're fasting, usually you get weaker. Your head gets a little foggier. You're not as clear. And for me, when I fasted, most of the time I don't have as much clarity in the scripture at all. And I, de- I, I definitely don't feel as anointed in prayer. Fasting is just putting yourself in a place of voluntary weakness. And the Lord goes, you know what? I really like weakness because when you're weak, my strength is made perfect in you. And so I remember coming to the end of those five days and being like, you know, I didn't get an angel. I didn't get a supernatural encounter. I mean, I don't know if you didn't notice, Lord, but I didn't eat for five days. Hello. And I remember the Lord said, I just want you to go pray and just begin to write what I say. Very first fast I ever did. And I said, okay, but I really would like an angel. (laughs) And I start writing, and the Lord starts speaking to me about a move of the Spirit of God that's going to come to America, and about how He's going to break open cities in the Spirit, and revival hotspots would explode across our nation, and we would see millions born again, a million in this city, two million in that city, and that God was going to visit America with a mighty move of His Spirit. I said, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's fast five days every week. And I was like, come on. But from there, the Lord pricked my heart. He, he drew me in. And it's been a, it's been a continual thing that he, he, he's, just, he's just given me grace to do over the last 10 years in, in a, you know, a, a focused, intentional way. And I would just say this. In terms of in the Spirit, you don't buy it with fasting. You don't fast, sort of twist God's arm and make Him do things. for It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. But I've found, as I've pushed my strength off and allowed myself to go into voluntary weakness, in those places of weakness, it's usually not during it, it's usually afterwards, in those places of weakness, His strength comes and carries me in a way I would have never experienced before. If you've never never experienced the grace of fasting, I would really encourage you, start small. If you have a medical condition, check with a doctor. We're not trying to get anybody sick or hurt, but it is such a powerful tool in the Spirit to see the grace of God released through your life. And so uh, for us, it's something just, it's a practical way to connect. I ask our whole community to pray and ask the Lord how that they would participate in our monthly 
bridegroom fast. He's a bridegroom. He said in Matthew 9, he said, when the bridegroom is taken away, then my people will fast. It's one of those seasons where Jesus is not with us right now. We're in the most unique time. He walked the earth. He's promised to come back. But until he comes back, we get to put ourselves in weakness and mourning through fasting and say, Lord, we love you and we want your return. What an awesome thing to connect with. So the first Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of the month, we do a three-day fast. I encourage people to make it a part of their regular regimen. I would encourage one day a week or at least a meal a week where you're focused and you're fasting and you're before the Lord and you're replacing the, the eating with prayer and, and in the Word. So that's, part, that's number two, how to connect. Prayer, fasting. Okay, thirdly, worship, worship. Look at uh, Hebrews 10. It's right there. It says, uh, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting or encouraging one another, and so much more, so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know what this is saying? This is saying as you have a vision of the nearness of the Lord's return, so much more we should be connecting and corporate gatherings of worship. That's what this is saying. Because in the corporate gathering, there's an opportunity to stir each other up and encourage and exhort one another. There's the small gatherings where we meet house to house, and then there's the corporate gatherings where we meet and the, and the, where the whole body comes together. Now, we don't have the opportunity for the whole body to come together because uh, uh, quite a, a few of our... Uh, the, uh, that are part of our body, they're asleep right now because they're going to be awake tonight when we're sleeping. So we do two services, one in the morning, one in the evening. It's the same service, and we have, you know, uh, our, our whole congregation is spread over those two services. That's just how it's going to be for us, but we have the opportunity to come together as, as a morning community, as an evening community. You can go back and forth, but the point he makes here in Hebrews is really, really important. He goes, as you see the day approaching, in other words, as you're on the alert and you're in the season of the, of the return of the Lord and you recognize that the Lord's return is, is getting nearer and nearer, that's what should be a, uh, uh, a testament to your heart that you don't blow off coming together, that you make it a point to come together. Now, in America, we all have schedules, we have travel, we have business, we have all these different things that draw us off the weekends, and some of it truly, it's unavoidable. I mean, some of it is just, just unavoidable, the way things go with family and stuff like that, and, 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 and work schedules and different things, and that's totally understandable, totally understandable. But here's the thing, I don't know about what you learned when you got saved, but one of the very first things they, they told me when I got saved, they said, just be there when the doors are open. Just be there when the doors are open. Now, nobody in our community can be here when the doors are open the entire time because the doors are always open. We never locked those doors. I think they threw the key away. I don't even know how to lock those doors. So nobody can be here when the doors are open because the doors are always open. But we have 
uh, essentially one opportunity in a week, really two, but one day in a week where we gather together as a corporate community to engage in worship, to hear the the, uh, preaching of the word, and to connect all over the place and stir up each other and encourage each other. Beloved, that's why we come. That's why we come. And so the admonition from Scripture is you don't forsake that. You don't blow that off. You don't make that a secondary thing. When I was in China, I watched this, and I watched how every time that they had a gathering, the believers, it was like, it was like water and refreshing to their soul that they could actually be together in the household of faith. They could actually be together with one another in a corporate environment. Why was it so precious to them? Because it was taken away from them. A little persecution, it really helps us with our character and our commitment. It's amazing. In the West, we have all the freedom we want. In America, you can come and go, you know, just as you want. And so it's, it's like not as valuable sometimes. You know, church growth people, they'll tell you that in any given week, only 75% of the people that are a part of a church actually show up to that church in any given week. And, and I believe the numbers are even further than that. I think we see about 50% on average. And so if, if you see 500 people in a, in a church congregation, there's probably at least 250 that are actually a part of that and that think of that place as their church home. They're just, you know, who knows where. And so my strong exhortation is, as we recognize that Jesus is coming, as we recognize that we're living in the end of the age, he says, even so much more as you see the day approaching, let us gather together when we have the opportunity. We do it weekly in, in, in this community, our corporate worship, Sunday morning or Sunday night. We have that opportunity to come together, hear the word, worship together, pray for one another, stir each other up, drink a little coffee, Amen. It's not in the scripture, but let's do that anyway. This is an opportunity for us. And so my admonition, my encouragement, my exhortation is, let's take it seriously. Let's just, if you're part of this community, let's just take that seriously and just make that, you know, unless we have an emergency or something that's unavoidable, let's just make it a non-negotiable. You know, it's a non-negotiable for me. I don't think, I think it's fine for me to ask you guys to make it a non-negotiable. I feel like your connection, your participation here is every bit as important as mine. I really believe that. I believe the, the commitment of any member of the body is just as important as the commitment of any of the leaders. It's all us together, guys. We've done this weird thing in the church over, over the years where we separate clergy from laity. That is so bizarre. That's not ever how it was supposed to be. It was never the main people and sort of everybody else. We're all the main people. We're part of the body. We're the bride of Jesus. This is who we are together. It's who we are together. We got to do this thing together. Amen. Okay. Moving right along. Sharing the gospel. Now, I preached a whole series on this, the simplicity of the gospel. And and at the end of it, I encouraged our whole community to to share the simple gospel with two people a month. And, And, you know, it can be like, when you're preaching on the thing, everybody's all about it. Man, preaching the gospel to everybody. And then you get, you know, a series or two away, and you're like, man, I hadn't preached to anybody in like a couple months, you know. So my encouragement, my admonition is let's make sure that we've made this a lifestyle. 
Let's really make sure we've made this a lifestyle where we're always looking for the opportunity to share our faith, where we're, where we're praying for the lost, we're connecting with, with people who don't know the Lord. Um, we, come, we have coming up August 19th, mark it in your calendars, August 19th is an Evangelism Sunday. I'm going to have one of our missionaries who's in Uganda uh, sharing the gospel with Muslims and winning Muslims to the Lord. He'll be here that Sunday, uh, Jesse Diggs. And he is going to share a little bit about their ministry in Uganda, and he's going to share a gospel message. It's going to be a great opportunity for you to bring a friend, neighbor, family member, somebody that doesn't know the Lord. And he's going to make a strong appeal for people to, to come to know Jesus. So that's August 19th. That's a great opportunity. But besides that, let's make sure we're, we're continuing to engage, engaging with the lost, building relationships, sharing the gospel when there's opportunity. And let's just continue with our goal is two people a month. A couple of verses right there. Mark 16, of course, just a reminder. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And in Acts 8, verse 4, I love this one. Because it describes in verse 1 how all the believers were scattered except the apostles. But in verse 4 it says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. The regular guys, the church, they went everywhere preaching the world, in the world preaching the word until they blew a revival open in Antioch and the apostles didn't even know what was going on. And they actually had to send leadership from Jerusalem to figure out what just happened in Antioch. And what it was, was all these that were scattered went preaching the gospel, just the regular guys, until uh, revival fires engulfed that city. So that's the way it gets done. We share the gospel, each of us, and I encourage us, two people a month, make that your goal in the Lord. Okay. Fellowship next. Fellowship. Right there in Acts 2, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. I preached a whole message on fellowship last weekend. You can listen to it if you missed it. It's on our podcast. There are a few things that we do to to facilitate the beginnings of fellowship. Uh, Our GBF meal, after we do that three-day fast, we do a feast. We get together and we we eat a, a covered dish meal. And that's just a great time for us to come together as a community and, and fellowship and eat with one another and get to know people. GBF meal, it's that, that first uh, Wednesday that's, that's part of the, the three-day fast. We, at the end of that fast, we come together and we eat. And then we have community picnics a couple times a year, just a time to come out and meet with one another. And we're in this process right now of revamping and revitalizing, relaunching our small groups. I really would encourage everybody. To, to be a part of a small group, get a group that you can connect with, grow in relationship with, and, and really have heart connections and fellowship with. And so last week we passed out cards and said if you'd like to be a part of a small group, just fill that out and turn it in. And the chairs there in the pockets and the backs of the chairs, those cards are available. Uh, if you didn't fill one out last week and you'd like to, I really want to encourage you Grab one of those cards, and on your way out, just turn it in at the information desk. We'll have a bucket there. You can turn the card in. And basically, the card just asks, you know, um, if you'd like to be in part of a small group, or maybe if you'd like to host one in your home. Maybe you're not trying to lead it, but you don't mind having a small group there in your home. Or maybe you'd like to lead one. And we had a great, I mean, we had a great response from this group. 
and, and from our Sunday night group last week, we had a bunch of folks want to be leaders, a bunch of folks want to be involved, and we're in process of getting all the data together and connecting it all and then communicating with everybody as we're relaunching these small groups. I'm real excited about that. And so I really want to encourage you, if you want to get connected to a small group, fill out one of those cards, turn it in at the information table on your way out. All right, last two. Here we go. You still with me? The rest of you still with me? All right, here we go. Give, giving. This is talking about tithes, offerings, and alms. Look at 1 Timothy 6, verse 18. This is such a, uh, I don't know, a taboo subject in the West, giving because there's been so much misappropriation. There's been misappropriation and there's so much greed in our culture. I mean, both and. And, uh, but look at this. Look at this word here. 1 Timothy 6, verse 18. Paul telling the young pastor Timothy how to lead the church. He says, command them to do good. Command them to be rich in good deeds. Command them to be generous and willing to share. Now, what if I stood up during an offering time? So we're going to give our tithes and offerings. And I command you to be generous. <laughs> that would be fun. I mean, I would get so many strange looks. I said, I'm just trying to be biblical. I command you. <laughs> you know, they'd be like, whoa. Give your money. Here's the thing. In the New Testament, it was obvious to all that they had to, together, provide for the works of the ministry. They had to together provide for the church. Why? Because to get saved in the Jewish culture meant you just got ostracized from every anchor you had in the society. So for them to be able to function, to do life, for many of them to be able to live, they actually had to have the community providing for their needs. Not just the, the centralized organization of the church sort of giving out benevolence, but everybody working together, providing the needs of one another. Until we even saw it last week where some were even selling their own stuff to pay for others and their needs and their bills. Now, this is a given in New Testament Christianity that we give. We give tithes, we give offerings, we give alms. Alms is to the poor. One of our, our chief uh, desires in our heart is to continue to always sow into the poor of the earth. And uh, the Lord, He has tricked us over the years about sowing. Uh, I remember in, in 2010, you know, the Lord put it on our heart when we were in uh, that season of renewal. We had uh, three renewal meetings a night. He put it in our heart to sow uh, one night's offering right into Haiti. Because if you remember, the earthquake hit in Haiti. And, and that year, we sowed that single offering uh, every week. We sowed it into Haiti, and we, and we sowed above that in, in special offerings. And we gave like well over $50,000 into Haiti just that one year from, from this little community. Now, when, at, by the end of the year, when we tallied all of the numbers, it was, it was ridiculous, guys. We had given like close to 25% of our income to the poor in that one year. I mean, you don't, no, no church growth guy, no, no church, uh, you know, consultant goes, okay, first thing you need to do is give 25% into the poor of the earth. Like, no one would think that's a good idea, except for Jesus. 
And so there we were doing our numbers at the end of the year, and it was like right around 25% we'd sow to the poor. That is a huge thing on our heart to always give, to sow. I love it because I can be bold about this because I'm a missionary. I have a partner team that, that pays my support, and that's how I live. I don't take a dime from our offerings, and so I can encourage us as believers to give with a cheerful heart in a generous way, to give tithes, to give offerings, to give alms, to give to missions, to give extravagantly, and, man, and, and I feel totally free about it because of the way that we've structured our environment. So get involved in giving, in sowing, in offering, in blessing. One of the coolest things about a church community, not one of us probably, I mean maybe somebody's sitting on a pile of money that we don't know about, but not one of us could have sowed 50000 into Haiti. But you know what? Together, $50,000, it made a difference. It made a difference to Gary Hippolyte and their ministry there. They fed so many. They got water to so many. They clothed so many. That made such a difference because we did it together. Amen. Amen. All right, finally, landing, serving, serving. 1 Peter 4, verse 10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Next week, I'm going to do an entire service. I'm going to do an entire message on serving. And as I said, when I was in China, the Lord really gave me a revelation about serving that it really touched my heart and, and shifted so much of the way I look at it. But here's the thing. The New Testament encourages us to minister to one another, that's in the body, with the graces that God has given us. That's normal Christianity. Everybody say normal. It's normal for each of us to employ our gifts in the community of faith. Not 20% doing 80%, right? <laughs> Come on. Come on. It's normal. This is where we've got to get to. If we're going to thrive, if we're going to grow, if we're going to flow with the Lord, we cannot have uh, this idea that, you know, we sort of show up as a consumer and sort of just receive. We've got to flow together. We've got to do this thing together. Now, I am not the guy to guilt people into serving. You know what? God doesn't, he doesn't motivate with guilt. He doesn't motivate with shame. You know why? He doesn't have any. He doesn't do guilt and shame. He does revelation and light. He puts it on the heart and it compels the heart because light, it moves us. He does life. Here, here's what I, I want to say. I am fully aware, I am fully aware that in church environments, many people have served until, you know, they're completely burnt out, completely tired and exhausted in ministry. That is not our desire at all. That's why we ask everybody to engage in worship and prayer to have a, a heart that's flowing with God, and then from that seedbed to offer and serve from the graces that God's given you. You'll notice we say, we'd like you to engage in two hours a week in the corporate prayer meeting and serve two hours a month. 
So we're trying to not burn people out. Now, I will say this. It would be awesome if many, many people would serve more than t- two hours a month because we have a lot of things that we can, we can engage with. And you have a lot of gifts that we can facilitate through the house of prayer. I mean, we have so many different outreaches and ministries. We have so many different departments. And we have so many different needs. I mean, we, and next week when we go through this, we'll, we'll lay out some of the things that we, we really have needs in. But, I mean, we could really use real help in our marketing and our IT and our children's ministry in so many different areas. I mean, we could really use real help in so many different places. And you have the grace to do it. So many of you have gifts. And I know that, that so many people, you, you've been in those environments, you've worked yourself you know, tired, you're, you're like the maiden in Song of Solomon, where she says, man, I, I took care of everything else, but I didn't take care of my own heart. Listen, IHOP, we want to be a safe place for people to come who have gotten totally fried in ministry. They can come and rest and get their heart ministered to and get buoyant again and alive again. We have a value for that. We have a real value for that. But at the end of the day, that can't be the norm where everybody just comes and goes, man, I feel God, this is awesome. So glad they're there doing all the work. Ah, I love you, Jesus. It just can't be that. We got to do this thing together. We've got to all put our hand on the plow. And we got to figure out the areas of giftedness and grace that the Lord's put on us. And then we can employ ourselves. Again, if you're visiting, you're around, you're just, you know, coming and, and, and you're not a part of this community. I'm not putting any pressure on anybody like that. I can remember going to churches and being the first time visitor and hearing something like this. And being like, man, they're trying to make me get involved day one. Listen, you come as the Lord leads you. But if you're a part of this community, this is where we got we to head. We got to head to all being connected, all with our hand on the plow, all pushing this thing forward. And I believe it's in that environment the Lord's going to bring great growth in our relationships, in koinonia and fellowship among each other, but also growth in the house of prayer. How many think it would be good for us to reach a whole bunch more people for Jesus? I'm, you know, I don't even care what the number is. I just want people to get saved. I just want them to get saved, discipled, delivered, on fire for the Lord, alive in intimacy, worship and prayer, just flowing with God. If we all have our hands on the plow, I really believe we will push this thing forward at such a, 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 such a, a much better rate. You know, such a more efficient rate. And so, there it is. Seven practical ways that we can get involved, get connected. As I said, next week I'm going to talk about service. And, uh, and I really feel like the Lord's going to show us how we can launch into, into more ministry in the house of prayer. And how you can, can really employ the graces God's give you given you into the the work of the ministry here so as i'm landing that card that's in front of you if you want to get involved in a small group grab that fill that out turn it in on the information table and we're going to be moving forward these small groups and uh we want to get you connected in that way all right good amen let's stand very practical now i'm just want to i just want to worship the lord for a moment i just want to i want to ask the holy spirit just to speak to our hearts and just show us how we should respond to this. Show us what areas, maybe that we've been engaging in certain ones and not engaging in others. And just have the Holy Spirit just speak to our hearts.